Uh, but yeah, I think the vast majority that are here were here last week. Um, but if you weren't here last week, and if you didn't get a chance to uh, catch last week's sermon, let me just give you a little bit of a rundown of what we talked about uh, last Sunday and what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks or so. From time to time, I like to recommend to you guys uh, certain books that I think could really have an impact on your spiritual lives, an impact on your walk with Christ and your relationship with God and your overall growth as a Christian. And uh, every now and then, from, some, from time to time, I like to preach or I like to teach on the subject matter of certain books. Well, that's kind of what we're doing right now. Uh, we're going to be talking about this book called Streams of Living Water. And I introduced that to you again last week. It's actually an older book. It's about 25 years old now. And it's by a guy named Richard Foster. I asked you guys last week if anybody had ever read Foster, and I don't think anybody raised their hand. I can't recommend this guy enough to you. Anything that he has written is absolute Christian gold. Uh, in, is, as far as your uh, spiritual formation goes, your relationship with Christ, uh, spiritual practice, you can't go wrong reading a book by Richard Foster. But anyway, this is one that was written about 25 years back. And uh, <clears throat> the basic idea is, is pretty simple. His, his argument, and, and I agree with him, is basically that uh, there are six historical Christian traditions or six historical Christian streams that have existed uh, in Christianity over, over the centuries. Most Christian movements, most Christian denominations, most Christian churches have emphasized, for the most part, one of these streams over the others in the way that they live out their Christian faith and their Christian practice. So what this book does, and what I want to do to encourage you guys, is to first of all familiarize yourself, if you're not already, familiarize yourself with these historical great traditions or great streams of the church. And let's see how we might be able to begin to incorporate these things into your life with Christ if you're not already doing so. Real quick, like, these are the six streams that we talked about, and this is the six streams that Foster talks about in his book. There's the contemplative stream, the holiness stream, the charismatic stream, the social justice tradition, the evangelical tradition, and the incarnational tradition. And we touched on those just briefly last week. I gave you a brief description of all of those. Um, so what I want to do for the next three weeks, and I, and, I, and I plan on wrapping this up in about three weeks, doing two traditions each Sunday, is I want to dive a little bit deeper into each one of these and maybe see again how we can start integrating some of these ideas and some of these practices to enhance our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and our growth. You know that's what we're all about here at Bemis, is our growth in, in Christ-likeness. Rich, rich, rich traditions within the church, folks. And uh, I really can't overemphasize. All of us at some, you know, all of us have probably come primarily from some tradition that has, I'm not saying these aren't included in all of our traditions, most of them are, but for the most part, the, uh, our church traditions are going to emphasize one of these things, one of these traditions, one of these streams, over the rest of them. So that's the idea here is to learn about these and learn how to incorporate the richness and the vastness of all of these Christian practices, all of these Christian disciplines, all of these Christian streams that, that have existed over the centuries, incorporating these things into our lives and into our spiritual growth and, and our relationship with God once again. So we're going to start today with the contemplative stream and the holiness stream. So here's a brief description of what I gave you last week of the contemplative tradition. Bob, you're doing a great job, brother. The contemplative tradition invites us to quiet our minds and to open up our hearts to the still, small voice of God through practices such as meditation and through contemplative prayer. And if those are foreign words to you guys, we're going to talk about them in just a second. But through practices such as meditation and contemplative prayer, 
we learn to listen and we learn to respond to God's presence in the midst of our daily lives. If you don't take home anything else that I say today about this idea of the contemplative tradition, take home that one word, listen. Listen. The contemplative tradition is all about listening to God. It's all about listening to the Holy Spirit. It's about a life that is absolutely saturated, saturated in prayer. But it's more than just talking to God. It's more than just talking at God, which we oftentimes have a tendency to do. It's about learning to actually converse with God. It's about learning to listen again to that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. To allow Him to form us, to allow Him to shape us, to allow Him to guide us, and to accomplish whatever work it is that He might want to do in our lives, in the very depths of our souls and our spirits. Forty-five years ago, this same guy, Richard Foster, wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. And I, that's, that's the other book that I specifically mentioned to you guys last, last, uh, last week. That was one of the first books that I ever read on spiritual formation. And, and I, I continue to go back, back to it even to this day. Such a great book. Such a great book uh, about integrating these spiritual practices into our lives. But he wrote that book 45 years ago. And this is something that he wrote. These are some of the words that he penned in regarding the contemplative tradition and the importance of contemplative prayer and listening God and sitting still in the presence of God. 45 years ago, folks, he wrote, In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. One more time. In contemporary society... Our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and in doing, he will rest satisfied. Foster wrote those words in 1978. I was two years old in 1978. How much busier, how much more distracted, how much overwhelmed are we now four and a half decades later? since he wrote those words. There is so much truth in that, so much truth in that. To engage in the contemplative tradition, to engage in contemplative prayer, is to push back against all of those things that are constantly trying to pull our attention away from God. It calls us to stop. It calls us to slow down. It calls us to silence the noise that's around us, and it calls us to enter into the presence of God with open hearts, this particular stream, this particular tradition of Christianity emphasizes the practice of deep, meditative prayer where we again learn to listen attentively to God's Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we engage in this particular stream of Christian practice? First of all, I don't want you to fall for the eye because most people say they can't do this. And this is hard. I get it. It's hard. I engage in it pretty frequently, but even, even to this, and I've been doing it for years, but even, even for me, it's hard to do. So I'm not, I'm not undermining that at all. But don't think this is something that you can't do. Don't think this is something that you uh, uh, cannot engage in. First of all, don't fall for this idea that this particular tradition is just for monks and nuns who have secluded themselves away, uh, cloistered themselves away inside of some monastery. Don't think this particular tradition is, is strictly for people who have been called to some kind of religious vocation. It's not. It's for everybody, and everybody who wants a real encounter with God, I assure you can do it. 
And we've actually talked about a couple of these things since I've been here at Bemis, a couple of these practices that you can start. I'm, I'm not, we don't have the time for me to, to talk about all of them uh, in a whole lot of detail, but I do want to mention a few of them. Uh, like, like, first of all, engaging in meditative reading of Scripture. I doubt that many of you have, have, have done this. You may not have ever been... Uh, uh, um, taught about this before. But here's what we'd like to do with Scripture, and, and this is okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with this, there's, there's, but there's basically two ways of, of, of approaching Scripture, okay? One is the way that we do what we do in our Wednesday night Bible study. We are there to learn from Scripture, okay? We're, we're, we're there to dissect it. We are, we, are, we are trying our best to understand, you know, what the, what the author uh, the original author meant when he wrote these words. He when he wrote these words, who was the audience this person was writing to? What was the cultural background during that time? So we're trying to interpret scripture for for knowledge, really, for knowledge and for learning, and that's perfectly okay. There's absolutely a place for that. We wouldn't have doctrines and we wouldn't have theology and and, and good Christian beliefs if we didn't do that. There is definitely a place for that, but there is another way of reading Scripture. And, and we actually talked, we did talk about this, I think, one time in our, in our Bible study group. And if I'm going to be honest with you, this would be my preferred method of reading Scripture. If, I, if I'm really looking to Scripture for the purpose that it was written in the first place, which is what? Can anybody tell me? Because I've mentioned it before. The primary purpose of Scripture is to transform us. Not for us to figure it out not for us to really to dissect it. But again, that's fine. Place for it. But the primary purpose of Scripture is to allow God to work through His written Word to change us, to turn us away from our sinfulness, to turn us away from our self-centeredness, and to turn us towards His perfect and good will. What we want to do a lot of times when we approach the Bible is we want to read ourselves into the Bible instead of allowing the Bible to read us. I hope that makes sense to you. We want to approach Scripture with the intention of mastering that Scripture as opposed to allowing that Scripture to master us. And we talked about this one time since I've been here. I actually led you guys through an exercise of a meditative reading of Scripture. Okay, again, this is not me sitting down and trying to gain a bunch of knowledge and trying to di dissect this thing and pull this thing apart. This is about allowing God to speak to me through reading His holy written Word. So how do I do that? I approach it in a prayerful manner, first of all. I go to God in prayer. I say, God, you know, I'm coming to you uh, this morning. I want you to speak to me through your word. My heart is open to you. Do with me what you will. And as you're reading that scripture, you don't try to figure it out. You just allow God to speak to you through it. And it works every single time. Every single time. I have never done a meditative reading of scripture where God has not directly spoken to me in these periods in these practices. Go to that scripture. Don't read, a, you know, I, I generally say don't try to read a whole, a big chunk of scripture when you're doing this. Make it something small. Make it John 3.16. If you want to go home and practice this thing today, go home and read John 3.16. If you want to take it a little bit further, read John 3.17. That's, that's a great one too. But read through that scripture. And again, ask God to speak to you. What do you want me to learn? What do you want me, how do you want me to grow as I read through this? Pay attention to the word. See if any particular word or any particular phrase just jumps off that page to you. If it does, that's a pretty good indication the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you something. And just sit there with that scripture. Don't try to figure it out. Just let God talk to you. 
If y'all want to talk about that more at some point, I know this is kind of a foreign idea to some of you, but if y'all want to talk about that, please. I love talking about this stuff. Find me, and we'll, uh, we'll go through it together. But that's one way that we engage in this contemplative tradition. What's the root word of contemplative? To contemplate. To contemplate. We're contemplating that scripture. We're contemplating that scripture. We're allowing that scripture to do what that scripture was supposed to do in the first place, to form us into the image of Jesus Christ himself. Other things, simply sitting still in the presence of God, and I don't, this is hard. I get it, folks. This is hard. This is not easy. Why? Because we're always distracted. It's what I just quoted to you from Richard Foster. We are always distracted about something. We have minds that absolutely will not stop working. If y'all are like me, you can't go to sleep at night because your mind is just constantly racing. Same thing happens to us most of the time when we, when we try to go to prayer, especially when we try to sit in quiet stillness before God. But I'm going to tell you, these are some of the most transformative practices that I engage in. When I allow myself to submit to God, and that's all it's about, yielding and submitting, yielding and submitting, yielding and submitting. Similarly to the thing that, we, that I practice that I talked to you about with Scripture, sit down, take a couple deep breaths. You start, <laughs> I was going to make a joke about this, but, but, but I won't do it. Uh, take a couple deep breaths because that helps you. That helps you to slow down. It helps you, it helps you to center yourself. Oh, you're teaching some kind of weird New Age stuff, Jerry. No, I don't, need a piece of, I don't need a piece of Scripture to tell you to sit down and breathe. Sit down and breathe and allow yourself to center yourself in the presence of God. And just simply say, God, you know, I just want to sit in your presence. I want you to work your grace through me, whatever it is you have to speak to me, whatever it is, whatever work of grace is that you want to do inside of me, I offer myself to you now. I yield myself. I submit myself to you now. And, you're my, and you just sit there and just allow God to do the work that he wants to do. It's not easy. Your mind's going to wander without a doubt. It, it happens. It's going to happen. 100%, 100% chance that's going to happen. It's okay. Recognize that thought and push it aside and just go back to that silent stillness. <clears throat> I've gotten to the point where I can do this for about 15, 20 minutes. Everybody can't do that to begin with. I don't suggest you to begin to do that, do that. Try it for two. Try it for two minutes. Give up two minutes of your social media time and sit in the presence of God intentionally. Maybe you can start expanding that. Maybe you can move it to three, to five. But I'm telling you, these are, again, these contemplative practices are, are just incredible the way that God will work through them. There's nothing magical about them. I don't want you to think that. There, there's, nothing, there's nothing crazy about them. These have existed throughout the centuries. Um, you know, our, um, I think I skipped something. I did skip something. Let me go back to this. No, I didn't. <laughs> I did, I did, I did. This goes back throughout the centuries. Here it goes. There's one paragraph I skipped that, that's very important. A major, major part of, the, of, of this tradition is, is learning to sit and be still, as I said. But in our scripture today, check this out now, because this is all through the Bible. You think I'm teaching something crazy? You think I'm teaching you something new? I'm not. You can find it in scripture. Here's one reference right here, Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 46.10 was my mom's favorite Bible verse prior to her death. Be still and know that I am God. We see all kind of references in the New Testament to Jesus getting away from the crowds, going off by himself to spend quiet, personal time with God. These practices have existed throughout the centuries, folks. And they are so, so very, so, so very beneficial. 
if we can engage in them. And they're not just, <clears throat> again, they're not, there's nothing magical about this. It's just submitting to God, submitting our spirits, submitting our minds. Hey, do with me what you will, God. I am yours. And they're not just, you know, neat little techniques. They're actual pathways that will help us to encounter the divine as we make space for God in our life. And that's what it's all about, again, making space. As we make that space for God in our lives, we're going to cultivate this intimate relationship with Him, this relationship that goes far beyond mental knowledge and that leads us to a deeper experience of His love and, and of His grace and of His presence. So that's the contemplative stream, and that's just an introduction. What about the holiness stream, Bob? <laughs> Turn the wheel, Bob. The holiness stream or the holiness tradition is rooted in a commitment to live holy and righteous lives. This stream emphasizes the importance of moral integrity and personal transformation. It challenges us to pursue a life of purity and of self-discipline as we strive to reflect on the character of Christ. Let me, before I go further into my notes, let me point out a couple of things about this description. First of all, personal transformation. What do we talk about the most at Bemis United Methodist Church? Personal transformation, yes. Being made, being shaped, being formed into the image of Christ. Secondly, don't let that word purity scare you away. Okay, Purity is purity of motive. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do I engage in the things that I engage in? Why do I engage in the activities that I engage in? Why do I, how do, why do, I, why do I operate the way that I do in my relationships? My relationship with God, my relationship with my family, my relationship with my friends. Purity is purity of heart, purity of motive, purity of, of, of intention. So don't let that word freak you out or scare you away. Our second scripture passage that I want to point you to talks about this in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, the author writes these words. He says, as, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. All right, now that first, that, that last sentence there, that last uh, half of that, the last half of that last sentence that's in, that's in quotations, excuse me, be holy because I am holy. There's a reason that's in quotations because the author here is quoting Old Testament scripture. The author here is particularly quoting scripture from the book of Leviticus where you see this command or this directive from God over and over and over and over again where God commands his people, be holy for I am holy. Now again, like I said last week, just like that word purity, don't let that word holiness freak you out. Don't let that word holiness turn you off. I want you to try to set aside any kind of preconceived notions, any kind of preconceived negative uh, ideas that might come to mind when you hear that word holiness. Holiness is not about following an extensive set of rules. It's not about following an extensive set of do's and don'ts. It's not about what you wear, and it's not about what you don't wear. For some of y'all who have been around as long as I have, if you saw the movie Footloose, it's not about dancing or, or not dancing. Okay? And I know that some of these... <laughs> I thought that was funny. I thought that would get a better laugh than that, but... I'll work on it. I'll work on it. I'm a, I'm a, the sense of humor in my family goes to my wife. But it's not about these things. And I know for a fact, because all of us live in South Georgia, that y'all have been exposed to some of these ideas. And these are, these are ideas that you think of when you hear that word holiness. 
a particular way somebody might dress, a particular activity that someone may or may not engage in, those types of things. All of these, all of these rules and all these do's and don'ts. So I want you to get that out of your head. If that's, if that's the negative perception that you have that word holiness, get that out of your head and think about this. To be holy, holiness, to be holy, simply means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. And how are we set apart? How are we set apart from the world? We talk about this again all the time at Bemis United Methodist. We are set apart through two things, loving God and loving others. With all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Growth in holiness is basically and simply growth towards Christ's likeness as our hearts and as our minds continue to be shaped and continue to be molded into the image of Jesus. I told you guys last week that the Methodist movement is and always has been a holiness movement. This would have been, the, this is the primary stream or the primary tradition of the Methodist or the Wesleyan movement. It began with our founder, John Wesley, who greatly urged people to experience a deeper level of consecration to God, consecrating our lives to God, who emphasized this idea of sanctification. Y'all have heard me use that word before. Big church word that basically is very, very similar to holiness. Sanctification is the process of growing into Christ's likeness through God's grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and of course through our relationship and our interaction with God. Because if we don't participate in this relationship, ain't nothing going to happen. If we're, not, if we're not active participants in this relationship with God, if we're not engaging in practices and conversing with God and listening to God, all this stuff we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, it's all for naught. We have to have that relationship. We have to have these, this intimacy with our Creator in order to grow into holiness, in order to experience this idea of sanctification, growing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Living out the holiness streams implies or involves rather obedience to Jesus obedience to Jesus and also a commitment to personal and social holiness I'm not talking about social justice right here I'm talking about social holiness which is also a Methodist concept I'm going to expand on that in just a second also it's about this idea we hear this phrase a lot but it's about this idea of being in the world but not of the world. It's about reflecting the character of Christ in every aspect of our lives. This stream challenges us to examine our hearts, again, our purity of motives. It, it calls us to surrender those areas in our lives where we so often have the tendency to justify and to make compromises with Jesus, with God. It calls us to embrace a life that brings glory to God. So what practices, what practices can lead us towards this, can better lead us, lead us towards this holiness, this sanctification, this growth, this being set apart. And this is where I want to talk about small groups. John Wesley said that there is no holiness outside of social holiness. There is no holiness outside of social holiness. And he wasn't talking about justice in this context, social justice in this context. He was talking about our relationships with our brothers and our sisters. Can you be a Christian without being a part of a gathered body of believers? Can you be a Christian without being part of a local church, whatever you want to call it, a community of brothers and sisters? 
Yes, you can. Absolutely, you can. You can sit at your house. You can watch. You can watch internet streams. You can read books. You can do whatever you want to do. That doesn't negate the fact that you're that you're a Christ follower or a Christian. But we, God, never intended for us to do this thing alone. From the very, very, very beginning in Genesis, He put us into communion and He put us into relationships with one another. This is the reason that the church exists is relationships. It's building the body of Christ together. Not just me sitting at home praying. I might grow a little bit like that, but I'm not going to grow like God wants me to grow unless I have relationships with people. I'm not going to grow unless I have conflict with people. I'm not going to grow unless I have disagreements and arguments with people. Think about our Bible study. For some of our folks who attend our Bible study regularly, Here's a shocker to some of you guys. We don't all agree on what we read in the Bible. I know that may come as a surprise to you, but we don't all agree on, on stuff in the Bible. And that comes out sometimes in our Bible study classes. And that's okay. Because you know what? I grow in our Bible study classes. Because Daryl Wood teaches me some things from time to time. Because Kevin sees some things from time to time that maybe I didn't, maybe I'd never picked up on before. Some of these other folks. And I hope that I hope that God works through me to do the same with them. But that ain't going to happen when I'm sitting at home by myself. We grow in community. We grow in relationships. We support and love and nurture each other in community, in relationships. The Methodist movement, the whole beginning of the Methodist movement, I've told you guys this before, started in small groups. We called them small. We were doing small groups before the word small groups was even a thing. This is how this movement grows, grew so quickly so crazily quickly across England and across the United States when it first began is they would hold each other accountable. That's a little bit of what we do in our life groups, by the way. Now, we don't, we don't do it to a great degree because I, I, I don't want to scare people away. But yeah, holding each other some form of accountability. There's no accountability in the church anymore, folks. Now, here's where the preacher in me is going to start coming out. There's no accountability in the church anymore. The church was never designed to be like that. Even, even Paul talks about accountability and, and holding, holding ourselves responsible for our actions, our behavior, but also holding our brothers and sisters responsible for their actions and their behavior. That scares people off in 2023 in the United States. We don't want to be held accountable. We want to do what we want to do. We want to, we want to participate in things that we want to participate in because it's all about me. And that's what our culture tells us. It's all about me. It's all about the individual. Church is not like that. Church was never designed for that. Not in God's design. We were designed to be together so that we can grow together. And, we, and of course, love is always, is, always, is always the motive for this. We grow together in love because we love one another. We don't want to see each other hurt each other. We don't want to see each other hurting themselves or other people, for goodness sakes. But we need to come back to some, some sense of this idea of accountability, folks. Because it doesn't exist anymore. And that's wrong. That's not right. I want to be accountable to you guys. I am. As the pastor, I'm very much more accountable to you guys than you are to each other, probably. I enjoy being accountable. I've enjoyed those couple... <laughs> it's not comfortable. It stings a little bit. But I've enjoyed, and I, and I have grown from those times that Daryl Wood has pulled me to the side and talked to me about something that was a little bit uncomfortable for me. I've grown from a situation or two where Paulette has pulled me to the side and talk to me about something that made me a little bit uncomfortable. That's how Christianity works. 
It works in relationship. It works in small groups. And if you want to grow in holiness, this is what Wesley meant when he used that phrase, there is no holiness outside of social holiness. Social being what? More than me. Social being the community, being together. This is how we grow in holiness. This is how we grow in sanctification, folks. How else can we grow in holiness? How else can we grow in sanctification? I know I'm going overboard, but that's all right. Y'all get too hungry, feel free to step out. I won't be offended. Again, Bible studies. That's one of the reasons we do the Bible study, to grow with each other, to challenge each other. Like I said we were, a minute ago, we were talking about uh, reading Scripture. We're not always going to agree. We're not always going to see the same things. But we help each other when we challenge each other. Bible study, life group thing, very similar to accountability. I don't want to go too, too deep into it, but that's why we do the things that we do. We want to discuss our walk with Jesus. We want to discuss where we feel like we're doing well. We want to discuss areas in our lives where we are being challenged, where we are falling short. we got a big problem not being honest with each other. we got a big problem not being transparent with each other. We've got a big problem putting on those nice Christian faces on Sunday mornings and not letting each other know areas where we struggle with, whether it's our relationships, whether it's a personal sin, whatever. I don't know why we do that. Why do we fail to it? Why do we fail to help each other in these areas? Prideful, too ashamed. Those are just boundaries. Those are just those are just their walls. Their walls that we put up that prevent us from growing personally. That prevent us from growing communally. Self-examination is another way that we grow in personal holiness. Now, this is where you spend some time by yourself. This is where you spend some time by yourself and, and God. One of the coolest practices, and I'll tell you, I, this is something I just started doing fairly recently, um, is, uh, is rehashing my day at the end of the day. Now, this is, this is, I, I do this in, in, a, in a prayerful manner, and, it, and you can do this or you can do something very similar, but it's so important to examine our lives. It's so ex important to examine um, our relationships, our actions, our words. So what I've gotten to do here is, uh, is, is I will replay my day at the end of the day in prayer with God. I'll sit down and I'll try to think of everything. First of all, I'll sit down and I'll try to think of everything I've got to be thankful for that day, everything that I've got to be grateful for. And I offer, and I offer God prayers for that. Of course, I offer God you know, prayers and, of gratitude and thanks for the big things. Offer, uh, you know, thank, you for, thank you for Sandy. Thank you for Parker. Thank you, God, for making me a pastor. Thank you that I have a home. Thank you that I have a car. Thank you for my friends and for my family. But also, I start thinking about the small things. Thank you, God, that my car actually started this morning. Thank you, God, that I had, that, that, that I had a meal to eat this morning. Just the little stuff. And the more and more I do that, first of all, I, get a lot, I actually become more thankful. I actually become more grateful as I realize that the, 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 the scales of stuff that I've got to be thankful for it, it, it versus, versus what, I've, what, I, what I don't have to be thankful for, any problems in my life, the thankfulness far outweighs the other. So then I move into this, into this mode where I start going by my day, hour after hour after hour. All the conversations that I had, all the, all the emails that I had to send, uh, seeing Parker and Sandy off for, for heading to school in the morning, Everything that I encounter, every person that I encounter, how did I act that day? What was I feeling in that moment? Was it love or was it something else? And I'm not beating myself up. I'm just trying to recognize these things, recognize these areas where 
I'm reflecting Jesus, recognize these areas where I'm not reflecting Jesus, whether it's actually in my actions towards other people or if, if it's in my mind. Again, my purity of thought, my purity of tension, my purity of motive. And I ask for forgiveness where I've fallen short. And I ask God to help me. That's how we examine ourselves. That's one method of examining ourselves. Another method is to do it with another human being. <laughs> Y'all know that I've talked about confession before. We don't, we don't practice confession as, as we kind of think of it like in the Catholic Church with a priest because you don't have to do that. But we also know that the Bible says that James says to confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. you don't feel comfortable doing this stuff in a group of people, find one person that you're comfortable enough doing it with. With confession brings healing. And with confession brings growth in sanctification and holiness. So we talked about two streams this morning, the contemplative and the holiness tradition. Understand, folks, these are not, these are not mutually exclusive it's not one over the other that we're talking about. It's talking, we're talking about learning from all of these and, and the four that we've got left to talk about. And, and again, integrating these into our lives with God and, and seeing how these, these, these historic, beautiful, rich traditions of Christianity uh, can help us in that relationship and help us in that growth. These, these traditions are beautifully intertwined and they beautifully complement each other. Contemplation, contemplative practice helps us to align our hearts with God's, making us receptive, making us submissive to the transforming work he wants to do. And then as we embrace this idea of holiness, growth towards Christ's likeness, growth in love for God and, and neighbor, uh, uh, our lives literally become living examples of Christ on earth where we're able to draw others to Jesus through our words, through our actions, through our undeniable love you know, that, that, that shines from within us.